Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Iron and Soul podcast. Um, this is the first one of the new year of 2021, and I'm really excited. So for, I think I have like three or four listeners now. I think I can say that now in 2021. But I think my guest today is my first guest that I don't know, other than just couple hours yeah. at the gym mm-hmm. and that's it. So I'm really excited about that because usually I know the person a little bit or um, yeah, know the person at least a little bit. So this is a really exciting for me because I've never done this before where I don't know the person at all other than some, uh, some rolling experience. So my guest today is Deja Jackson. Welcome yeah. to the show. What's up? How's it going? <laughs> you know, I can't complain. I guess we can say Happy New Year after the crap year that we just, right? <laughs> we just had. Right? But uh, yeah, I, I mean, the sun's out today. So that's, you know, widely different than it was a couple of days ago. Going right. Through a snow. Ice. and Snow on New Year's Day or came down to mm-hmm. start New Year's night. So. But you're used to snow by now. Yes, that's right. Being up in Minnesota now, year three. Year three. Okay. So Deja has a master's degree in um, mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. Is that right? And is getting your doctorate in You Tell Me. So I'm getting my doctorate. So it's a doctorate of education. So people often think like, oh, you're getting a doctorate. It's PhD. And so this is an EDD program. Okay. And uh, it's in counselor education and supervision. Okay. So what what does that mean by counselor and supervision? Like, tell me that piece. So basically what it is, is I'm learning how to teach future counselors. Oh, okay. You know, so going through the, it's a KCREP based, um, University, which basically means kind of like through the licensing boards nationwide, like through the NBCC, so the National Board of Certified Counselors. So they have a particular curriculum that that they have that I come from that kind of program through Emporia State. So it just makes it a lot easier if you come through a KCREP program. So then when you go to apply for licensure, you don't have to fill in like some of these random uh, classes or right. things that you didn't have. Right. And so that's what my um, my doctorate program is, their KCREP. And so we're learning, you know, the KCREP curriculum, going through all of the, the fundamental counseling. It's like basically it's like a master's program, but you're learning how to teach it. Ah, okay. So what level will you teach if you um, teach counselors? So I'd be teaching, once I com- fully complete my doctorate degree, I'd be teaching masters and potentially teaching doctorate students as well. Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. And um, so how did you get to Minnesota? You know, I, I don't know if you've heard of planned happenstance. I do, I, well, I mean... Now that you've said that, I think I've heard it. But mm. Well, it's something I, I wasn't even privy to until I started doing this program because it was okay. like one of our uh, like month discussions. Um, but basically, it's kind of like at random. So what had happened was I had been working as an in-home traveling therapist for about a year and a half. I got licensed back in 2015. So technically, I'm still an LPC here in Kansas. Okay. So still need supervision and, okay. and all of that. Um, so I had been, you know, doing in-home therapy around the Lawrence and Topeka area for about a year and a half, predominantly working with kids. Um, but you know, had some adults in there and whatnot. And I, and I do love kids, but their parents 
you know, terrible, are, aren't they? they're, they're so the bad. They're so bad. Oh. And it's really bad when it comes to therapy because it's like I can enjoy kids and give them back. But, mm-hmm. you know, with therapy, it's so much interpreting for kids and like interpreting their own emotions and you doing a lot more of the work, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I really appreciate people who can do therapy with kids. It's just not my thing. Um, so after kind of doing that for about a year and a half, um, I was really itching to kind of get out. Like I love, I really loved Lawrence area. Like I predominantly grew up in Topeka, graduated middle school, high school there, but my parents live here in Lawrence. I kind of like, you know, would come back and forth. Um, but there was something in me that was kind of like, I need to get out and figure out some things outside of the Lawrence area. I didn't know what that, that looked like. Um, and then during my master's program, so I graduated in December of 2014. And during that time, one of my mentors, um, who's still a great friend of mine, uh, he was like, you really should kind of think about going into a doctorate program. And I kind of laughed because like education is, is even though, yeah, I was in a master's program and a doc program now, but education is not my thing. Right. To to be honest with you. You like doing the work as opposed to teaching others. Exactly. You know, like I can get it and it's one thing like trying to get somebody else to come into my mind so I can tell them how to do Mm -hmm. it. Um, but you know, I really, I was kind of going through some life changes, you know, at that particular time and right after the new year, like going into, I I believe it was 2000, beginning of 2018, I was kind of like, I need to get some changes. Let me, you know, look around and see what kind of doc programs are around and not basically like count myself out of what other people think I could do. And I think I do want to teach. And then the problem is when you, you do want to teach something like counseling or Mm -hmm. psychology, you're either, um, you know, if you don't have a doctorate degree, you're kind of basically you're, stuck in either like undergrad or community um and there's just there's obviously people make a living doing that and the finances Mm -hmm. are fine but you have to like do so many other things to supplement that income Mm -hmm. um so it was so random like my thing was i i was going to apply to a school in utah which i know I, it was just, I'm a fan of Utah, so just... <laughs> I'd never been there, you know, but I was like, I heard they had a good, you know, like one of the people that actually came and talked to us during my master's program, who was from their doctorate program out there. And then there was another one, and I was looking in Colorado, I was looking in Washington, and everywhere else but Minnesota, because I just don't do the snow, I don't right? do the cold. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so, uh, so as I was like looking at these other doctorate programs, you know, I was realizing just the, the application needs that you're, you're supposed to have of like, obviously your transcripts, cover letter and all of that, but you also need letters of recommendation. And so me kind of thinking about, well, who could give me a letter of recommendation that would be good for an actual educational program? I kind of went back to the director of my internship during my master's program. Um, and me and her had a really good, you know, mm-hmm. relationship. Her name's Dr. Miller. And, um, you know, I reached out to her cause I knew that she had left Emporia state and went up to Minnesota. And so I, it'd been a couple of years since I talked to her and I, you know, reached out to her. I said, Hey, you know, I know it's been a couple of years, but she kind of knew me, you know, I never took a class with her, but she did know me just through the office right. and everything. And I asked her if she'd be interested in writing me a letter of recommendation for a doc program. And she's like, she was so happy, you know, that I was, that I was thinking about doing that. And I said, yeah, it kind of sucks because the way the programs were looking as I was looking through them is 
you had to apply by the December of that 2017 December to try to be admitted for the fall of 2018. Oh, uh, right, right. So right. I was going to have to wait if I was accepted, you know, mm-hmm. for months. And I was like, okay, whatever. But this is, I think, was what I want to do. And she said, well, you know, we're, our deadline isn't until March and we're looking to get a deadline for March so we can try to admit people in August. She thinks, you know, if you want to do that, I know Minnesota is not your thing, but, um, you know, I couldn't write you a letter of recommendation if you decide to come here, but I think you really would be a really great fit. And I said, well, I don't know about the snow and the cold, but at the end of the day, I can't pass up a potential opportunity. So I went ahead and put in my applications other places. I put my application um, up there at Minnesota and my interview went really well. Like she wasn't a part of any of my interviewing process. And um, when they offered it to me, I was kind of like, you know, it's, it's a six and a half hour drive from here. It's not bad at all. It's not. um, And I think I can do it. And it's something I kind of need to do just to figure out what I do and what I don't want to be doing. Right. So that's how I got up to Minnesota just by happenstance of like reaching out for a letter of recommendation. So have you handled the the snow and ice and all that stuff all right up there? I think for the main part, but everybody, it was really funny because the first year I moved up there was the year of the polar vortex. Oh shit. Yeah. When it got down to, it was like, I think the coldest it was at one point was like a negative 52 with the wind chill. Jesus Christ. And it had started snowing. I think our first snow happened like mid-October. And then it just didn't. Just didn't stop. I have never seen any, that much snow in my life. Wow. It was, they were, I would see tow trucks taking snow. I didn't know where they were going, but it was obviously going somewhere. Um, The constant snow emergencies where you have to move your car. If you don't have a driveway or, you know, like a rental property Mm -hmm. parking lot, you're parked on the street. You got to go find a place to park or else you will get towed. I have gotten towed one time. No shit. Yep. yep. That's just mean. (laughs) It it, it really was. (laughs) Um, And but the funny thing is, it's like the plows are amazing there, you know, Um, so the roads are relatively clear. Right. Oh, yeah. They yeah. Um, and like yeah, it is, it is cold. Um, but I would say it's colder. It feels colder down here than it does up there, even though the temperature is lower. It's probably because you have the constant cold and you have sun. Mm-hmm. So like you have that kind of like, you know, it's going to be cold, but the sun's out here when it gets cold, most of the time there's no sun. So it's just like, uh, and you're like, uh, dreary and yeah, mm-hmm. get all depressed. And, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that was the other thing too. Like when the polar vortex was going on there, it really wasn't that sunny up there. And so uh, okay. that was actually the first time I really kind of, and being in therapy, like I know the signs, but that was like the first time I really went through like a seasonal depression, right? you know? And I was like, what is going on? And it went on for a good like month and a half. And mm-hmm. finally I was like, I probably need some vitamin D pills, yep. you know, and to get some uptake. And cause it, it was a pretty big adjustment. Um, but it's not somewhere I want to be <laughs> forever. I'm really, I'm really trying to get back here um, in the summer. It doesn't mean I'm done with my degree. Like I'm past the point of classes. I've passed my comps exam. Oh, nice! So Congratulations! I, I appreciate That's awesome. that. It was, a, it was a pretty big deal, especially being occurring in 2020 with everything that was happening. Um, but I, I just don't want to be up there 
even though I have adjusted to the weather, it's just it, eight months out of the year. It's just not ideal weather, even though this winter has been relatively mild comparatively. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, I want my four seasons. You want your four seasons. Yeah. Interesting. So I really like to have, um, int- obviously people want to hear interesting guests, mm-hmm. things like that. So Matt said, Oh, you should have Deja on. And I'm like, okay. And, um, I don't know you, so that's interesting to me. Yeah. But what, and we'll get into this a little bit more kind of down, but I'm I'm really interested in that little glimpse because I was like, don't tell me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, your dissertation is what, is what I find super fascinating. So let's let's get right into that. What is your dissertation on? So right now, my um, what I'm going to be focusing on is black female student athletes and mental health. Um, and how obviously they're affected and what, you know, are some help seeking behaviors that happen. And obviously like, um, what has been their experience with therapy, even if they've, if they've had an experience, um, and the, and I wasn't there originally, I I was always since my master's program before I decided to go into a doctorate, like I've always been interested in student athletes and mental health because I think it's something that's lost. Um, and being a collegiate athlete myself, I was a track and field person. I was a thrower, you know, all through college. Nice. Um, and I just have a lot of performance anxiety, you know, and even with that, you know, just a lot of things outside of sport and, um, me growing up within my family, mental health was not something that was discussed. It wasn't something that was common, you know? So let's talk, let's talk real quick because we, I'm not on YouTube yet. Mm-hmm. So people aren't going to be watching this. So yeah. let's just let the read or the listeners know. If you don't know, Deja's black. Yes. I am a black or, female or a woman of color. However you identify, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. do that. So that's important because in, um, black culture, it's not, as common to ask for help or seek therapy. Right. Same with Latinos and um, Asian cultures as well. So mm-hmm. that would make sense that you didn't grow up. Right. Having e- that. Exactly. So, and, the, and the conversations becoming a little more, you know, prevalent now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like growing up, it was not um, something that I saw my family members going like, like therapy. Oh, that means you must be crazy, you know? And, right. and yep. growing up in Topeka, we had, uh, Minigers, right. you know, there. Yep. So everybody's like, Oh, you're going to end up in the crazy yep. house or whatever. Um, and then there's just this, you know, the stereotype of the, the strong black woman mm-hmm. of, you know, you just take it, you deal with it and you stuff it down and you keep moving. Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you can cry about it, but you can cry and the bills are still due. Right. So you just go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like in college, that was something I was like, I, you know, I, I want to get a little more in tune with like who I am and like where these thoughts, where these emotions and things are coming from. Um, and when it comes like the student athlete, you know, um, like I didn't know this then, but like thinking about it now, like they call it, um, athletic identity. So it's basically like having tunnel vision as Mm -hmm. an athlete. So you over identify being an athlete. So then as we, the textbook classic stories know of like, if you have an athlete that has an injury, um, a career altering injury or something happens, they graduate, they don't know what to do because they just had a major that was going to supplement their eligibility for sports. So it's athletic identity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so how I would go back and when I've worked with athletes, I've worked with a few athletes in um, my time is that we talk about worth, right? Mm-hmm. So, they, so, so I, athletic identity puts all of their worth into their sport. Right. 
And so then when that sport crashes or their body crashes or whatever happens, they have no worth. Yeah. Or they, they feel like they have no worth. Or they have this identity crisis. Yeah. Of like, who am I? Yeah. You know? Um, and then, you know, what, what's big in like, sports, as you know, and I don't have any issue with it, is, you know, sports psychology. Mm-hmm. And which is great. But again, you know, when it comes to like the separation and understanding the separation between like holistic mental health and sports psychology, there's a really big difference there. Um, and so once I kind of like trickled into my master's program, I was like, okay, like, obviously I'm in mental health and like the, it's just putting words to things that I didn't even understand. So going into my doctorate program and kind of, you know, you have to get into all the research and know what's out there mm, and where the gaps right. are yep. and everything. And my mentor who I had mentioned in my master's program, who really wanted me to go to a doc program, his number one advice for me was don't try to reinvent the, the wheel, just mm-hmm. get the damn thing done. Right. And so to me, I was like, well, there's, plenty out there on blackmail student athletes and if you know if we're thinking like coming from you know being integrated here in lawrence with ku basketball team and that being a huge thing i was like yeah like i want to do you know blackmail student athlete um you know mental health and that's kind of the kick i was on for a good um year and people kept asking me like well why don't you want to do like females you know you're like you were a female student athlete and i was like yeah but you know the research i'm showing is like when it comes to career and it comes to education, like black women are just at a higher completion rate than it is for black males. And so at that time I kind of felt like there was more of a need Mm -hmm. in the mental health aspect. And then when you start talking about masculinity and just like stigma, and then you add that into the intersectionality of, of race and, 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 and all of that. Um, but then sitting with that for a year and, and you don't know what you don't know is, is a great, you know, I love saying. that one. I love that one. Um, so as I'm like looking into this research, a lot of it was calling for this needs to be targeted to females. Um, okay. or, you know, there's a gap here when it comes to black females or, you know, black mental health or X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. And, um, and then going through as we went through this past 2020 of all the civil unrest and everything that I was kind of squirreling with even before that, I was like, there's a huge need to um, really focus on black female student athletes because, you know, we talk about intersectionality and, and, you know, the difference between men and women and people of color and not, but I, I do the research and just from my own experience and other people that I know, you know, the, the experience of black women is not championed enough as it should be. Right. You know, and they're and we're often just kind of like left in the dark for things or, you know, kind of picking up the scraps for things. And um, there's a lot to be said with that just because of the historical implications of this country and just in general, you know, mm-hmm. with the globe. And so um, women athletes, you know, we get our props, but obviously we're not as high, you know, revenue generating as males will be, especially when you think about basketball and football and mm-hmm. the overrepresentation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really want to kind of like do my due diligence in really trying to at least like have some sort of representation for black female student athletes when it comes to mental health. So back when you were, where did, where did you um, play sports at? Emporia State. Emporia State. Mm-hmm. So when playing sports at, if you like, you think about what you're doing now with um, black women and, and mental health and sports, and you go and if you think back to when you were a, a student athlete, how many black women did you have? Were you around in Emporia? Mm-hmm. Like that's interesting to me, like because that's m- middle Kansas, right? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, people come in from all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
how many did you see kind of struggle with mental health issues? Yeah. Um, so Emporia is definitely predominantly white institution. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, like we did have our fair share of black females and like we had, you know, we had a decent representation in the track and field program, which I was in, which you'll kind of find, you know, obviously depending on the sport. Um, so like black women kind of tend to be a little more geared towards basketball and track and field. Okay. Um, so like there was, you know, pretty good representation with that. Um, and then like being a thrower, it was just me and one other female of color who's still a really great friend of mine today. And, you know, we would have conversations or I'd have conversations with other females just randomly and like come to find out we're struggling with the same things or we might have reactions to things that, you know, as you know, like, I don't know if you've worked with kids, you know, mental mm-hmm. health, like they might be, um, you know, like little Johnny's over here and they're super angry. And then, so a person that doesn't understand that they're like, Oh, he's just an angry kid or whatever. And it's like, it could be masking for something else. Like, and they don't know how to, right express that and so that was a lot of kind of what I was finding in my experience and I was like oh you know like you're dealing with the fact of like okay we have this warm-up and you're sweating but you're also having to think about how's my hair looking because that's a really big thing um, for black females is our hair and so like we can't just go to a sporting event and just like sweat it out and throw it up in a ponytail and like be fine um, you know, it's like, it's our appearance too of like, yes, I'm sweating. People know I'm, you know, working out or I'm going to this, you know, specific meet, but at the same time, I don't want people to look at me like I'm, uh, let's say quote unquote ghetto or quote unquote, I don't have my stuff together because that's like, that's how I grew up of like, our appearance is very important no matter where your money is. So I'm, I'm, I'm not educated in this at all. So what would, mm-hmm. what would a black female that would show up to a tra- track meet that wasn't put together air quotes mm-hmm. look like ghetto. So explain that to our listeners, what you're trying to understand so we can get an understanding of what that experience is like. Right. It's, it's the stereotype of, um, Oh, well your, you know, your hair's not slicked back in like a nice ponytail. Like you have, you know, hair kind of coming out of your sides, okay. which typically, yeah, it's like, okay, you're doing sports. Like you're not going to like look, pristine or whatever but for black female for black black females it's like one of those things that we have constantly been told and that's either been told by the way strangers look at us for what strangers have told us um how that's internalized within our family and then how we haven't Mm -hmm. because there's internalized racism too right um and so if like for here's a good example like when we would have to do pool workouts um i love the pool um but it's also one of those things of like, well, I can't just jump out of the pool and then just go to study hall after this, you know? And so, but what am I going to do? That's, that's my requirement. So I'm going to try to get it together as much as I can, you know, brush my hair as much as I can. And so I go in the pool and I don't have time to do like my normal, put it in a ponytail and I had longer hair. Um, and so I got in the pool, got out, had to wash the chlorine out, you know, and it was just, not in a style, it was just kind of like slicked back, but it, I didn't feel my best. And right. I, and, and one of them who was a friend at the time, and I know they didn't mean any ill will towards it, but all of that internalization and all of that stuff from other people looking at you odd, they kind of made a joke and was like, 
yo, you're like, you're looking a little beat up, you know, right now. Like, you know, what's going on? And it was a white female. And to me, it was like, I'm already self-conscious about it. And even though you're joking about it, like that was, that was already something I was worried about getting into the pool to do the workout before we even got, you know, to me getting out of the pool and and getting to this situation. So it really is like a process Mm -hmm. of going through that of, and, and my teammate who I talked about before, who was the other person of color, um, who was a thrower, like there was times she didn't even get into the, to the pool and our coach would be like, well, you know, why is she so moody? Like, it's not that big of a deal to get wet. And it's like for us to explain to you what all goes into this type of decision when, yeah, you can just get in the pool and like wash your hair or whatever and be fine. To us, it means so much more. Right. And isn't there a stereo, not a stereotype, but a, um, well, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Like maybe even a bias a while ago, um, versus uh women of color with short hair versus long hair and having to straighten it and mm-hmm. all that stuff is that yep is that yep. still is that still yeah that's still a thing and actually like because when i mentioned you know like when i had longer hair like i we call it the big chop um uh-huh. which go basically means like no more chemicals you know it's going to be all natural um so i cut my hair Mm, probably like three years ago or okay. so um to i guess what the about the length that is now it's a little longer than i usually have it <laughs> over the past year um but i went through the big chop and so but before that like yes it was very much like you straighten your hair either with straighteners which is you know constantly damaging your hair right. with, with that or you if you don't damage it with that you're going to damage it with what we call relaxers or perms or whatnot to get that eurocentric Mm-hmm. look and again that's passed down because it's like okay well if you're rocking a fro we're not in the 70s or 80s anymore you know like, but it still was awesome like why didn't that transfer i don't understand mm-hmm. um yeah it's there there's so much like that can be like a whole other you know Podcast. section <laughs> right. yeah but um yeah i mean i remember like being in school you know and females being like well what's wrong with your hair if i came to school with braids one day or if i came to school with like you know like you know chemically straightened hair or whatever um i mean it was a constant thing and if i expressed that to a teacher who was white they'd be like oh just ignore them and it's like it's okay i'm doing what an adult told me to do but at the end of the day i'm still internalizing that some way so they would say if you came with a different hairstyle from one day to the next mm-hmm. white people would make a comment about it yep but if a white chick or a white dude comes changes their hair each day it's like oh you know whatever that's cool oh you got a ponytail on the side now oh you got two pigtails yeah like, mm-hmm. that's you know as being a white male i don't I don't ever understand that because Mm -hmm. I never was around. I mean, it just doesn't click in my brain, right? Like I just have so much uh, privilege, Mm -hmm. right? Like I just don't, I've never seen that. So that's, it's really, it's fucking terrible and shameful. Yeah. Like you you would have to like, and that you would even tell a teacher and they're like, nah, just get over it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so it's just something that you learn Mm -hmm. early on and it's just your experience. And so when you get to things like sports, um, you know, like I know some females who won't like black females who just like won't even do something because it will affect their hair, you know? And it's like, I know you would enjoy like cycling, you know, but like, oh, I don't want to wear the helmet though. You know, it's just like, 
it, wow. it's not as simple as people really think it is because there's so much that goes into that that's really personal. It's real, and 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 it's not just what what we have to get to, or a little bit is. It's not just being self conscious mm-hmm. about way my hair looks after that thing. It is so internalized mm-hmm. that your hair stands for something way more than just my anxiety or my sadness or how it looks that day or whatever. Mm-hmm. It stands for almost, it's part of the identity of right. a black female. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know like my, like I could have job opportunities that might be taken away from me just based off of how my hair looks. Um, you know, they've had to put in law. I forgot what the law, um, what the actual name of the law is, but they had to have come out with a law that you couldn't discriminate in schools with, with individuals that had braids in their hair. You know, because, because it was like, you know, there was so, there's so many different schools that have either suspended kids because they didn't meet the dress protocol, you know, protocol because of their hair was braided or whatever. And, um, and then that's why that conversations, you know, when we talk about cultural appropriation, when you see somebody white wearing dreads, they're like, well, what's the big deal? And it's like, well, the big deal is. I could be, I, you know, at one point in time, like I know people who were fired or who didn't get a job opportunity because that's how they were wearing their hair and they weren't trying to make a fashion statement. That's right. just an upkeep. Right. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. God, I hate white dreads. <laughs> they're they're God, so bad. They're so bad. They're so bad. So bad. Mm-hmm. It's driving me crazy. And if, you know, if I have friends out there that are listening, I have dreads, cut them off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. Um, okay. So. You had these experiences in, in, in college. Mm-hmm. And when you say performance anxiety, did you feel like you, you had to do everything perfectly? Is that what it, yeah. that what it was like? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question because it's really something, um, I've been more mindful of on how I, that occurs in every part of my life, not just sports. Weird. I know. Right. <laughs> so I was talking to, uh, my advisor, you know, and, we're, we're just talking about like, you know, when you're doing supervision, you know, like counseling and one, it's not mm. just about the client or, right. you know, it's like really personal. It's about yeah. you too. And so I've been like, you know, figuring things out about myself. And, um, it was like one of those things where I kind of had to look at it. And it was like, I do that when people, or I, even when I know I'm good at something, you know, at track practice, you know, I could be hitting personal bests easy all week and then as soon as I step in the ring for that competition like it's like I don't know how to throw Uh, anymore and it's because like the things that were going on it was like yes I want to perform well but it was also like my scholarship is writing on what I'm doing so then you know you have to think about that as another avenue of like I don't come from a family of money so every little bit happens. So that's writing mm-hmm. on that. Right. I, I don't want to disappoint my coach, you know, because he's invested a lot of time into me. You know, I don't want to disappoint, um, even though they would stand by me, you know, like my family, because like, what if I don't, you know, I'm, it's not just me getting to a position just to selfishly be like, Oh, I made it. You know, like I'm very much a person that's like, what I'm doing is going to trickle down to the rest of my family. Right. Like I'm bringing them with me too. Yep. Um, and so it was like, even me co-teaching this past year and like my, my advisor. So this is how the conversation started. And she was like, well, how do you think you're doing as an advisor? You know, like we were just kind of reflecting and I was like, I think I'm doing okay, but I'm still really nervous. And like, you know, these departments and she goes, it's really interesting that you say you're really nervous or that you feel like you're inadequate in these specific areas because I think you thrive in them. 
you know and i was like yeah and so it just kind of like really made me reflect on you don't necessarily it's hard to get to the root cause of a lot of things but for me like really thinking about how i perceive things and how i want people to perceive me and how i want society to perceive me you know we just go back again to intersectionality like it's so big of Mm -hmm. how am i going to be perceived as a female how am i going to perceive perceived as a black individual how am i going to be perceived as somebody who identifies as the lgbt you know spectrum and like not wanting not not wanting to adhere to a stereotype or you know, like, oh, I don't want to be too loud because I don't want them to think, you know, I'm just a loud or angry black female or things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So it's just like, it's so much other things other than like myself that I'm aware of that drives, you know, that performance anxiety Mm -hmm. for me. And so it's just becoming more aware of that. So it trickles down into all these other roles that I have. Right. That makes, oh, wow. Makes a lot of sense. So do you what do you do to kind of work through that yourself so then you can model that for others that you're going to be either teaching how to counsel mm-hmm. or actually doing counseling with depending on what road or both roads or whatever you know it's really been um trying to focus and appreciate your individuality okay to be honest with you um it's one of those things like everybody has something to offer and I think when it comes to, you know, we go back into me teaching counselors and what I was thinking when um, I was in my master's program and, you know, they teach you the traditional theories of CBT and, and all of that. Right. And it was not, I, I honestly can tell you, it was not until my first year of my doc program and I, and my advisor I'm talking about, she's a, a woman of color. She's from India one of the smartest people I know. And she's so outside. And I I hate saying outside of the box because it shouldn't even be something that's abnormal of being like, you know, we don't have to stick to these traditional models. Like, you know, like, yes, you can implement like this Kendrick Lamar rap song and this specific theory because what society has been traditionally telling you is that that's not right. Or there's something wrong with kind of deviating from what we we think is the norm. Right. Um, and so what I really have tried to do is really just embrace who I am as an individual and like, really it's, it's not, not given an F, (laughs) you know, but it's kind of trying to be more intentional about trusting myself and not respecting, you know, other people and mentors and bosses and things like that. But at the same time, like really trusting, who I am before I allow somebody else to give me the key to trust that for myself. If that makes ah, sense. Ah, fuck yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> and what what we find right is that whatever we're doing, if we've experienced it, people are going to connect to that mm-hmm. exactly more often than than if we can quote something from a book or we learn something from a webinar or whatever it was. If you can say, you know, in my experience, when I was dealing with this or. I've done this or da 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 da. People are going to be like, oh, that makes sense because they're going to identify, they're going to connect, mm-hmm. and they're going to figure it out, and they're going to they're going to trust that you you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And another great example of that. So, um, my first co teaching experience so it was the my internship. So I guess 2019, that year of fall, mm-hmm. and then spring of 2020, I was co teaching, um, which I'm like co-supervising this year it's a career decision making and life choices choices class it was an undergraduate class awesome i love it like i didn't even think i loved career until i was in this program but it's amazing um but it you know it's just like again my advisor was like 
just be, you know, aware, just like know who you are because a lot of your students on like where you're at now, they maybe have never had a woman, maybe, and they've maybe never had a person of color, a woman of color, and they maybe not have had somebody who identifies on the LGP spectrum as you, um, you know, or presents the way that I present. Right. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense, you know? And again, that comes from that. It, me accepting my individuality and my autonomy, because at the end of the day, like not everybody's going to accept me or, right. you know, um, and I just remember, you know, when we talk about representation, people are like, Oh, you know, it doesn't matter if you just have people there. And it's like, that's true, but it's not at the same time because it really is a big deal. So as I was teaching, you know, uh, I think we were going through, I think we we're talking about planned happenstance and, you know, we were kind of prepping them to take their strong interest inventory, which mm -hmm. kind of gives them, you know, what, where do you lie on the specific career based off your interests and values mm -hmm. and whatnot. And one of the students of color I had in my class, um, it was a really powerful moment, you know, because I was just kind of, you know, I was keeping things professional, but still like kind of letting them tap a little bit into like my personal journey and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of talking about, you know, when it came to education or even being in a doc program, I was discounting myself because I didn't see any what like I didn't see any black professors in mental health. So to me, I was like, that's not even a thing, you know, like why, why would I chase something that I don't see anybody in? And so you can say that same argument when you think about, you know, black males as kids, like before what, what's always blasted on media. It's oh, be the basketball or the football. Right. Like, so they, they don't have any worth when it comes to something else outside of that, because that's where their representation is. Right. And so I was just kind of talking about that and, you know, she opened up and she, she cried to the class because she was like, this is really, cause she really wanted to go into the STEM field, but she didn't feel like she was smart enough. And she didn't see a lot of Latina women, you know, in that particular field. And, and it wasn't because she couldn't do the work or anything like that. She was really passionate about it. She just didn't think she could because she didn't see anybody like her or, or, you know, or hear specific story of like a non-traditional route or, you know, my parents didn't have money and, you know, I had to go through this or, you know, like having some specific traumas and things like that. And she was just like, this has really been a really big deal for me having somebody like you and learning from you because it's giving me, you know, the confidence in myself. And, you know, I really had to kind of sit with that that night because mm -hmm. it, it wasn't just like that surface level oh thanks for sharing type thing i really had to kind of think about what that really meant for her right. just to have somebody like me just sitting even if she didn't like me it was having somebody a woman of color representing you know in an educational sense so ex explain to me <laughs> We're just going to get into it. Yeah. Explain to me where this voice comes from that says, is it internal or is it external that a Latino woman can't be in the stem cells or a woman of color can't be a professor or mm -hmm. whatever the noise is? Right. Where is that noise coming from? Because me being a white male, I don't hear that noise. Right. I hear, I hear different noise, but. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say it originates externally. Okay. And then it goes internally. But and where externally do people hear that? Do they hear it in do they hear it in textbooks? Like 
all white is it is it this idea of like all white people get this mm-hmm. and so there's no representation so we don't so people of color don't think they can do stuff or what i would say in my opinion yes it's just not presented that directly okay of so when we're talking about a good example would be like assessments so when, you know, we're talking about assessments or um, like testing like the SAT or ACT, mm-hmm. that is not normed for students outside of being white. Right. This particular, you know, mm-hmm. that's what they normed it to. So why are we still administering that? So then when you administer assessments like that and then you have a student of color taking a test that's not norm for them and then they get the feedback based off of a test that's not norm from them. Yeah, they might have to do a lot of prep to do well on it, um, but then they don't do well and then they internalize that as, oh, you know, I'm not smart enough or I can't Uh, do that or, you know, like I come from, you know, this, you know, this or whatever. And then. The big thing I kept hearing last year, like I said, 2020 was a whole big awakening for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I didn't realize I didn't I didn't learn this in school. And it's like, no, we didn't, you know, no, they didn't talk about the Tulsa massacre in school. They didn't talk about the Rosewood massacre in school. But it's like, um, you know, like, oh, when people think like, you know, well, I wasn't a part of slavery. So like, how can I be a part of this oppression? And it's like, it wasn't that long ago. And for somebody like me, I still have relatives that grew up during segregation. And so I've, I've learned from them. And like, when we talk about appearance, it's like, I couldn't go out if my granny, my great grandma, if she was in the house, you know, like I couldn't go out of the house being wrinkled. And it wasn't because, you know, she just had like a problem with, you know, being mm-hmm. wrinkled. It was like, no, people are going to talk about you. And I remember saying to her, I was like, well, everybody likes me, granny. You know, like, what's the big deal? She's like, no, you don't know people talk about you behind your back and where, where she was coming from was like opportunities being lost where Mm -hmm. she was coming from was like, here's the normal same as like heteronormative things of like, I can internalize things as an LGBT individual. If I'm constantly walking into environments that have straight couples everywhere or things of, Um. you know, and so, or if if I'm walking with my partner and I want to hold her hand or something and then, oh, there's a little bit of uncomfort, like discomfort there. And it's not because I'm uncomfortable with it, but I'm uncomfortable because of the optics of it. Um, And so I just think when we have the educational system that we have that are just scared to just be honest about our history, they don't want to reconcile with that. And then it's placed into these books. And then you know, who were raised by, they're having certain experiences. And again, they don't know what they don't know. So then they're saying certain things to you of where colorism comes in, you know? Um, oh, I don't want you out in the sun because you're going to get darker. And it's like, that's a, that's a thing of like, and not just within the black community with like a lot of um, communities of color. And again, that's the internal, it's internalized racism, but it comes from external forces because of what has been, you know, depicted or what has been constantly thrown at us and globally is like Eurocentrism is the way like Eurocentric beauty is the way. So then you start, you know, like through generations, it just trickles down, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's go back to the SAT and ACT. Mm -hmm. At what point do people of color realize that that's not normed for them? So like you, you know that because of going through education, whatever but does a but does a sixteen year old black boy know that it's not norm for him, or is that 
does he know that he's going to have to work harder and different Mm -hmm. to score better on that? Or is that? Well, to the last point, yes, which creates, you know, stress, which creates mental blockage when you, when you're automatically told you have to work harder for the same things that other, your peers don't have to, that's boom, here's strike, you know, already. Um, Unless they're a teacher or their family says something to them about how the tests are normed. It's not a thing. It's not a conversation that's had. It's not even, it's not something I would have even known had I not been into my doc program now, because one of the requirements was um, I had to take the, uh, the graduate exam that I didn't have to take my master's program. I just had to take the, like the analogy, the Miller's analogy test. Um, but this was like the grad graduate, you know, thing. Um, and they were like, yeah, we want you to take that to put it into your application materials. But to be honest with you, we don't look at that because it's, you know, your admission is heavily focused on your interview, your personal statement, um, and like your written statement basically. And I didn't understand why because i knew i was like well i'm not gonna do well i've been out of school for a while and i don't Mm. test well um and then just do little you know things that i've known like yeah it's not really norm for us but at the end of the day like what are my choices i can't go to you know like that reference to you know the 16 year old male Mm. that you're talking about he can't go to a college and be like you know well this isn't norm for me so you guys are gonna have to admit you like he has to take it and and unfortunately has to deal with do I have money for a tutor? Do I have time for a tutor? Because maybe I'm trying to, you know, go to practice and do all this so I can guarantee a scholarship time demands when it comes to sports. I don't have time to do that. Um, maybe I'm trying to help out my family on some of the bills or I have to pay for my own lunches. So I have to have a job. Mm-hmm. I don't have time. I'm like, I'm tired at nine 30 at night. By the time I get in, I don't have time to sit and study for this. So basically you're taking it and knowing that it might not be well, but hoping for the best Cause you don't have a choice. Wow. That's intense. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you just keep learning. Like for me, you just keep learning. Like it just gets deeper and deeper in different ways. Like how it's, it's the cards are stacked against other people, whether they know it or not, whether we know it or not, mm-hmm. it's just fucking the way it's been for X, Y, and Z years. And now we're like, what the fuck? Right. Exactly. And how do we, how do we even fix it at this point? It's like, that's even, and then people are like, well, that sounds exhausting to fix that. So they're not going to. Yeah. Or, so. or even in, um, in our, the mental health standpoint, you know, like really talking about how we do our assessments and things like that. And it's something I wouldn't have known unless because um, I really appreciate the fact that my cohort is extremely diverse. There's only four of us students. But within my career class I was talking about, mm. my instructor was from India. There was me, you know, black woman from Kansas. Mm. I had another classmate who was a white woman from Oregon. And then we had um, a lady who was close to, you know, mid fifties, but getting her second doctorate, but she's originally from Taiwan. And Shit. then we had another guy who was a refugee from Somalia and hearing just these different experiences, I would have never, it would have never crossed my mind as a mental health therapist when my classmate had given the case study of a, a woman who was a Sufi woman. So spirituality. And mm-hmm. so she like, so part of that is like, they believe in the spirits, like they're, mm-hmm. you know, it could be haunted or whatever. And so she was explaining this during a mental health assessment. And then 
it was like 30 or 45 minutes later he said like somebody came in to like commit her because they thought that she was insane because she had marked you know these but they're discounting the spirituality that takes place like so it's so easy for us to be like oh how spirituality and religion take place in your you know in your world is it important or not important but then we're also like well do you hear voices and because we're so westernized you know, within that, or even when you think about individual cult culture compared to collectivistic culture, like mm-hmm. it's just, just different, but it's not, that's not something that would have even registered in my mind being a thing or, um, until he said that. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I, I couldn't imagine. So then this, this woman who's there with her child sees that of like, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything with mental health or like talk to these people because they're going to, they try to take my mom away. Right. That makes, yeah. I remember, um, I actually had a couple really good professors when I was getting my master's degree that actually told us about cultural, different cultural, um, pieces where people in their religion hear voices or talk to spirits and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it really helped me when I was doing my assessments Yeah. as a professional be like, Oh, okay. And then it just made me go, well, okay, what do the voices tell you? Mm-hmm. Are they telling you to hurt? No. Okay. Well then I didn't worry about voices. Right. Exactly. Right? Like I didn't worry. Like, okay. Cause you never know, like, and then you can't even really, even in a 30 minute assessment, you can't even get into, is it your voice? Mm-hmm. Someone else's voice? Like, exactly. Yeah. You got to get to a little deeper mm-hmm. and that takes a little time. So, so with your doctorate, how, how deep are you into it now? Are you in research phase? Where, where are you at? Yeah. Research phase now. Cause my, I completed my exam in the beginning of October. Okay. And so then like, once you do that, then you're considered ABD all but dissertation right. and then therefore you're approved to start. Okay. You know, so will you, will you use obviously other articles and other research materials, but are you going to do interviews? Or are you going to, how are you going to do your pieces of that? That's what I'm trying to figure out now with all of the, the articles I'm pulling, I'm leaning more towards, um, so, you know, quantitative, qualitative, and mm-hmm. I'm leaning more. It's like, well, wherever the research takes you, that's where you want to go, uh, right, right. you know, but I really want to do qualitative just because I think it's, it's a richer experience mm-hmm. because you're interviewing and you're getting in-depth interviews from people. And like, yes, you could, you can't necessarily make it generalizable depending on your sample size, but I mean, I think 10 or 15 in-depth interviews, you know, can not necessarily outweigh, but, you know, it just kind of puts a picture mm-hmm. more so than like, oh, I have a hundred, you know, sample size of people just right. answering these survey questions or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I had a thought that I just came to me as we're, as we're chatting, as I think about Minnesota. So what was um, being in Minnesota in May like of 2020? Yeah, it was not great. Um, yeah, I bet. Cause, yeah, because I wasn't in Minneapolis. Right. Um, but how far are you from Minneapolis? I'm about an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty south. South. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, of course, everybody nationally, globally was affected by it. But like being in the state, and you know, and like I mean, there's people traveling um, from the the cities, you know, from that. And actually mm-hmm. my, my classmate who I talked about, who's from Somalia, mm-hmm. his private practice was two blocks away from everything that was happening. Oh, and so he's calling us to try to log into class and we could hear everything going on. It's like, you're, you're really logging into class right now. And you have, 
you know, all this stuff going on, you know? Um, but it was, it was just really uncomfortable and just a feeling of being really unsafe and not necessarily unsafe to the point of like, for example, you know, I'm going into jujitsu and like, I know most of those people, at least on a surface level. So Mm -hmm. I, I feel somewhat safe. But then after that happened, everybody has to have their opinion on social media and everything. And I'm one of those people, like I can sit back and, you know, respect everybody's opinion. This wasn't something that I couldn't just sit back and let somebody spew something that was just rooted in ignorance. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to have a conversation about it, then we don't have anything to talk about. Right. And just seeing some of the posts that I was seeing, you know, just from some of my teammates and people who I thought I knew, um, and walking around. And like I said, I'm not in Minneapolis, but just like walking around, you just got this really uneasy feeling Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, and it was like, I don't really know people's true intentions. So it went back into like, I need to protect myself, you know, mode and just, I'm already hyper aware of, things going on Mm -hmm. because I have to be. Um, but it was even more so of like, yeah, we were shut down for COVID, but if we weren't shut down with the pandemic and everything, I probably wouldn't have even gone back to, you know, my, my gym. Um, at least for, it probably would, I probably would have taken like a month or two off just because people needed to cool down. And I wasn't in a space where I needed to hear anybody's opinion that wasn't supporting my experience and and what was going on. Do you think, and I know that we can't generalize too much, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll try a little bit here. Do you think um, when people feel like they need to spew, spew's maybe too strong, state their opinion, right? And I'm talking about white people. Mm-hmm. State their opinion. Do you think that that's based in shame? That they're they're ashamed of? Yeah, so they so they feel that shame of of having bias yeah right Mm -hmm. so instead of saying you know i have fucking bias right because i grew up this way or whatever and i don't say very because we all don't say very nice things about things in our heads right we all do it yes um what no matter what color you are Mm -hmm. you say it and then you're like fuck why did i say that right Mm -hmm. um do you think that that's based in shame or do you think that's based in hate or ignorance or all the above I think it can definitely be all of the above, but I think the number one thing is shame. Um, you know, I was watching this documentary a while ago um, about James Baldwin. It's on Netflix. It's mm-hmm. called I Am Not Your Negro. And one of the things he was talking about in that, and he 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 went back before like the civil rights movement and all of like basically kind of leading up to the civil rights movement mm-hmm. where we're at. And there's like all of these terrible pictures, you know, of, lynchings and things like that white angry mobs and one of the things that he was saying was we can't get to a place where we need to be if, as far as like progression because white people are unable to reconcile the his- the the violent history of where like how we've led up to today so right. i think that and then there's this dissonance between who i am in my private life compared to who i am publicly so when you have that huge gap there you don't know necessarily who you are and so then when you get called out or you see something and it's like you know it's not directly because of you or has anything to do with you but then you're feeling some type of way about that whether you feel guilty whether you feel some shame whether yes you are ignorant or you have some you know bias or whatnot 
then the automatic response is either I'm going to be really defensive about it or I'm going to be really angry mm-hmm. or I'm going to gaslight you and say all of these things and, and make it seem that you are crazy and you're wrong. Right. But even when I know that you're not wrong, I'm going to argue you to the point of where you can't argue back to me. Therefore it makes me right. Yeah. Okay. That, that's just, that's, I just see so much when I, when I see people like argue or say there's no racism or we've come so far or whatever. I just, I just see it's shame to me. Like mm-hmm. coming from the mental health world, I mean, like mm-hmm. just the, just the, that you just, you know, you feel that inside. Right. Yeah. And so instead of being like, huh, tell me more, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You get defensive, which is shame, right? It's, the, it's a shame response. So. Right. Well, what was that like for you? You know, kind of going through as being a white male and going through all of that last year. I think for me got a pretty um fabulous wife who's like we're gonna read some books yeah we're gonna listen to some things we're gonna i'm like okay and i'm i'm you know and this goes through like kind of of course i have bias right Mm -hmm. of course i grew up in a in a town not of course but i grew up in a town that was mainly white Mm -hmm. more land latino latino than um than um i think there's only like four or five black that i can remember four or five black families Mm -hmm. but more latino and then a, a higher um Vietnamese and Korean population yeah. then because the churches would bring them in, um, would, uh, sponsor families mm-hmm. from Vietnam and Korea. Um, but for me, it was like, I come from a basis of like where, where everybody wants to be happy. Like mm-hmm. I just kind of work in that kind of thought process. So when it happened, I didn't like, I'm super sad that that happened. I, and mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I can't believe that that happened. I'm like, I can believe that that happened. Yeah. I'm not, I don't come from ignorance. Mm-hmm. My mom, grew, you know, grew up in Gary, Indiana, where mm. she grew up in a um, uh, high school that was um, integrated. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up knowing things, not um, like I was special, like, but I just had a mom that talked about race and how she grew up and where she grew up and, and uh, who her friends were and things like that. So, yeah. um, it didn't surprise me, but it, it made me dig into who I am, mm-hmm. made me think about where's my privilege come from? What do I not know? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? I don't know what I don't know. Like, what are the, I don't want to be that in this. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to, I want to at least know I don't know. Right. You know, so just kind of working through um, um, that privilege piece, but also trying to give people compassion that we're ignorant because they're just, they just want to be happy too. And they, and they just want to live their life and they don't want to have to deal with shit. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, you're, we're going to have to deal with it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, trying to give them the compassion to be able to deal with it. Like this shit's happening. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Racism still exists, mm-hmm. whether it's in your face or under the rug. Right. It exists. And as long as there's people, it will always exist. Right. People won't like other people because of the way they look. Mm-hmm. We're not going to ever get to this flowers and roses and rainbows and where everybody's going to get along because people need. I To me, it's bio, bio in the genetics and whatever I'm trying to say. Um, 
that people look at someone else and then it's different and they don't like them. Right. It's in there for some reason, mm-hmm. whether it's just because of warrior type of thought process and, and tribe like a thing thing. But I think we're moving past it better, mm-hmm. but I think that will always exist on some level. Right. Hating the other. Mm-hmm. Is that, I don't know, hope that doesn't sound too pessimistic, but it's kind of a realistic thought process. I, of course, that's not my viewpoint, but or hating other people, but like, I think humans need that. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, I think that one, it's great that, you know, you have the partner that you do to be able, and like you have the mindset that you do to be able to be like, yeah, I need to <laughs> educate and maybe look at things that I, you know, figure out what I don't know and mm-hmm. things like that and not meeting it with like anger or meeting it with direct like skepticism or invalidating somebody's experience. Um, because I think it's so easy to do, you know, when you want to have right. that tribe mentality. And like you said, it's, it's, it's always, racism is always going to be there. Um, hate's always going to be there. Um, but I think it's one of those things that this will be a telling year as okay. far as how we go, as far as like the performativeness. So if you were like the, the entertainment execs and all of this, mm-hmm. like if, you know, like the stuff that they were doing, like, oh, 2020 is, you know, let's put this thumbnail of, um, you know, we had this event happen. It's like, that wasn't an event of, you know, George Floyd's killing. Like that wasn't an event in everything else that happened within right. last year. Like, like these are things that are shaping generations that, and, and it's just going to continue to kind of have this, you know. Do you, do you think it's, we're we're in an upswing from that do you think especially let's let's use sports and entertainment as an, mm-hmm. as an example do you think um we're on some level it's going to be more acceptable to to kneel on national anthem or um or people aren't going to say just shut up and play basketball lebron mm-hmm. like are are we going to be better I think it's an, I think it's uh we, we will be better because we're going to be put in a situation where we can't not be better as, okay. the, as, as we see our demographics changing, <laughs> okay. you know, and people who are going to be representing in these certain, you know, um, administration positions or owners, you know, and whatnot. Um, that's my hope, I guess, being optimistic okay. of being like, okay, with any kind of change, there's going to be resistance. That's just right. what happens. Mm-hmm. But with that resistance, you hope that you can kind of come out on the other side and make a little bit of progress. And we're not just going back to where we were. And I, I do think like, cause even, you know, one of like somebody I knew, they had messaged me a while ago. Um, and they were basically, you know, just kind of saying like, yeah, I was that person that was, really upset with Colin for you know kneeling when he did at first and then weird right exactly and then months later like all these things happening and he was like I'm really trying to learn and I you know like I was an asshole for that um because there people can tell you all day long like you know do this to protest or don't do this and it's like at the end of the day like there's 
this is how I see it. Like being a counselor, I'm like, there's no right or wrong. There's just things that happen afterwards, you know, right. like effects of it. And I'm not going to discount somebody's, you know, emotional process. We can discount the effect and, you know, and, and the things that fall from that. But at the same time, like their pain is real and it's valid. Right. And if you don't listen to that, like what else was he supposed to do? So, you know, I think like that person reaching out to me and being like, yeah, I was, I was that person that was like super offended by that. And now seeing things and like just having different conversations with people, I understand where I was at fault with that. And it's not to say like I completely, he still completely, you know, agrees with it. But at the same time, it's like, I understand the context of it. Just being able to have that conversation, that internal dialogue is so important. If people aren't willing to do that, then it's not going to get better. Cause but he could have sat in his anger and bitterness about right. it and just kept it moving. I think if you're not a racist, right. Mm -hmm. Or an outward race, I don't, I don't know. I hate that word anyways. Like I just can't figure out how to use it right appropriately. Um, if you watch George Floyd die, right? Mm -hmm. Most people would be like, that's fucked up. Right. No matter where you fall mm -hmm. on any type of like political spectrum, anything, they're like, what the fuck just happened here? Yeah. And then that education around all of the shit that just happened and why that happened and, and is will be interesting to see if people can, it being a white person, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting if the white people will stay on the train. That, and that's what I mean by the performativeness, yep, you know, right. stay on the train and not hijack things. Oh uh, yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> I don't, do you follow, follow comedy? Yeah. Do you follow, uh, like, uh, Dave Chappelle uh -huh. and like, uh, uh, Bill Burr. Yep. Mm -hmm. So like they're, White women like yeah. attacks crack me up, mm -hmm. like because it's so true. Like, it is. white yep. women just come in, take over. Yep. Right. <laughs> well, and that was a really interesting conversation I had with, um, you know, a lot of like, you know, friends of mine, other, you know, black friends, and we were kind of joking slash. There's truth, like, laugh at our pain, basically. Mm -hmm. And we were like, did you notice that a majority of the people marching after the election were white liberals who were out in the street and like doing all of these things? So the problem with that is, you know, like white women, you know, like we need allies. Yes, we do. Of course. You know, be on the track. However, if you hijack a message right. at the end of the day, they're not coming for you when they want to be angry about something. No. Right? You know, they're coming at the people that you're trying to defend even harder because you won't get out the way or you're trying to make your message to where, oh, well, I'm saying this because it makes me feel good. Well, it's like, right. no. Yeah, that's, that's. So what's your take on um, woke culture? I think some people are too woke and they need to go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, However, what I will say is, and this has been my own experience with it to check myself because yeah, I think, I, I think if you get too far on, on either spectrum, you know, like there can be major issues. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to racism, discrimination and bias, like those are things that we should be trying to, even though like, yes, that we can never eradicate it, but we should be working towards like, right. at least like you know, chopping it all the way down. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people are just, you can be too woke in a sense of like people not being willing to receive that because it's too woke for mm -hmm. them. 
which that goes, you know, to say something about that too. It was like, so I have to kind of like monitor how I deliver the truth so you can receive it. Right. Like just because I say it a different way doesn't mean the truth is going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that with my own personal experience, because there was a point in time, because people think this like this stuff is new. And, you know, when I go back and look at like different history, I'm like, you know, we're talking about Rodney King when I was a kid. And I was Holy like, you know, shit, the riots, right? you know, starting there and, and things that have led up to those like these things are not just it happened this decade or it happened right. this year. I was like, this is literally centuries of things that have carried down that that we have still have not reconciled with and people are still suffering from that. And so um, when the Trayvon Martin situation came out, I remember being really angry about that, but being like, okay, like whatever. At the time I was like 22, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't even really still know myself, but I remember when the, um, the Ferguson, Missouri, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, had came out and, I remember like seeing posts by some of my friends and they were like so angry, you know, and coming at white people like so angry. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to help at all, you know, and why are you, you know, like, I agree with you, but why are you, you know, that was me invalidating their pain. Like I was, right. you know, they were expressing it in a different way. And it, it took me a few years later, unfortunately, another killing that happened in Minnesota, the philandro Oh, um, right. I, you know, I don't, I'm sorry that I forget about that, but I forget about it. Right, because there's been so many. Right. But I remember when I watched that, like, it was almost like you could probably see, like, steam coming out of my ears. I was so mad. And at that moment, I was like, I get it. Like, I understand where the people who look like me, we're, we're, probably, we're fighting the same thing, but they're going about it in a different way. And, like, and I get it. Like, I totally understand. I can, I can just approach it in a different way. But like that anger is valid because you get so tired. You get so mm-hmm. fed up with seeing it. So at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you can be too woke. But at the same time, it's like we wouldn't necessarily need that if these other things would change or if people would just open their minds and, and understand like the, the fault that has come from this. Do you think um, like like we were talking about earlier about, do you think white people have taken over the woke culture and, and have, and have, um, uh, swooped that into cancel culture? Yes. Cause I have, I have an interesting question for you. Mm-hmm. So early in 2020, after, um, the George Floyd incident, a lot of entertainment stuff got attacked. Right. Right. Like entertainers that had done blackface in mm-hmm. er, maybe early 2000s or right. even 1980s. And then they're being canceled. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not even allowed to be people anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. What is your take on that? I don't agree with cancel culture. Um, depending. Mm-hmm. Now, if you say something and you want to double down on that and it's problematic, like I'm, I'm all here for free speech, mm-hmm. but I think we get blinded with that. I'd be like, well, I'm just going to say whatever the hell I want to say. And I don't care what platform I have or who receives this. Well, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not my responsibility that I put this, this book out. And then we had a Timothy McVeigh type situation, right. you know, it's kind of how mm-hmm. I see it. And it's like, no, you're not responsible for his actions because he's his own person. But let's talk about the platform that you're on on and spewing right. certain things. Right. So if you say something and you're educated about it, about how it wasn't okay for you to say that, and here's 
X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. you still double down on it, and you and it's problematic to the point of like where it's endangering people, whether or not you can directly see it or not. Right. Yeah, I think let's reevaluate your position on what you're doing. Right. Okay. However, when we talk about the whites, you know, white people kind of like snatching and hijacking this wokeness and how mm-hmm. it's intertwined within this cancel culture. You know, we kind of joke. Yeah, you know, I see it on Black people Twitter too. I, I love following Black people <laughs> yeah. Twitter. Um, it was like, like when they when HBO was canceling, like or taking off Gone with the Wind or things right? like that. And it was like we didn't ask for that. That did not come from us. But now it's intertwined with everything that we're trying to do as far as racial justice and all of this, to where it get now we're in this big lump sum. Mm-hmm. of everything and then when you think about like the rioting and the looting like a majority of those people doing that were white people exactly but it got right. it came back on us so it's the same thing you know with this woke and cancel culture and whatnot like it's been hijacked to the point of like all these performative things are happening in hollywood and, and stuff and it's like that's not coming from the community that's what that's what like is so frustrating for me mm-hmm. is is that middle America mm-hmm. doesn't understand that or know that, right? You have right. to really do your research to understand. So then it just divides, divides people even more mm-hmm. that Hollywood and media are, and white people are creating this line in the sand mm-hmm. and, and forcing people to choose sides and we don't even get to choose the side. Right. But they're one of the most problematic ones out there. Exactly. You know, and it's like a big problem. So when we talk about, we'll go back into the conversation, we're talking about representation mm-hmm. and, you know, the importance of that. So going back to mental health, you know, um, they're posting, I get the the ACA magazine every mm-hmm. month, you know, and in the summer they had, you know, black trauma and mental health great we should be talking about these things it should be a normative conversation but let's not feature the one black therapist that you want to feature when we can look at who's writing this who's writing this article where are these board members coming from right. like if you're not in, and then going to the hollywood execs if like you're not willing like tyler perry had to be a tyler perry to make his own universal studios or whatever like that shouldn't be a thing right and and it and it's fuck and it's too bad it goes back to all that goddamn old money and mm-hmm. when we talk about old money yep. we talk about slave money yep. right mm-hmm. plantation money exactly all of that stuff that was made whether you were in the north or the south you made money off of it yep for whatever reason and that's where that money comes from mm-hmm. um one of the things that i found fascinating is i watched that youtube of dave chappelle um, where he talks about the Chappelle show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I've seen bits of it. I haven't seen that whole one. So I fucking loved the Chappelle show. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And I was just like praying and praying and couldn't wait for it to come out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So then I started watching it on Netflix. I think I was like four episodes in and then somebody or Instagram said, look at this video of Dave Chappelle on Instagram. And I was like watching it and he goes off on like not getting paid for the thing and don't watch it on Netflix and don't watch it on HBO. I was like, mm-hmm. fuck, <laughs> I love you Dave, but I'm okay. I'm not going to right? Yep. Like, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Now they're taking it off. Yep. They took it off Netflix and they, I mean, they've been from what I understand, Netflix has been awesome, but HBO max mm-hmm. is coming off 
there too. So like there is power. There is. But he got that power because he's a Dave Chappelle now. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody lower than him on the totem pole, they wouldn't have gotten that same sort of star power. But is but eventually is that going to come down? Is that going to trickle down and and create more opportunities that power for for people of color? The pessimist in me says no. Okay. Because you know, I don't know if you're a Wu Tang fan. Of course. But, but cream. It's literally what it is. Cash rules everything around me. Cash is always going to be the driving force no matter yeah. what. And until we get to a place, which is probably not going to be within my generation, of where we have generational wealth, it's not just, right. oh, you know, oh, you're yep. a rapper, you're an athlete, you made this amount but of money. real money. Right. And, Fuck and you money it, that comes from black-owned business, black-owned right. shit, right? Exactly. And the, the financial literacy to mm. understand what to do with that. We don't know, like now we're starting to get into it, we don't know shit about investing and like all right. of that. Like when I was at my grandparents for Christmas, like they're the hyperloop or whatever was on the news and my grandpa said something he's like oh we should like invest in that that was the first time i heard him say something about investing and it made me so happy you know mm-hmm. and like yeah like maybe it might work out but the fact that he said said that and he's starting to they're starting like yes they're older but they're having these conversations Still, now like that's I mean, that's change right mm-hmm. yeah starting to get mm-hmm. those things going and you know having people like um killer mike Yep. Um, even 50 cent, like mm-hmm. people like of, um, power in that thing saying invest in this stuff invest right. in things. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And you know, when it comes to, like I said, the pessimist in me says no, cause cash rules everything around me. I'm not saying mm. it can't change, but we do need to have people who have this generational wealth who then have the financial literacy to put us in positions to where we then can be in the, you know, we have more Dave Chappelle's and even if they're at the lower Level. So then going back to like Baltimore and trying to figure out how to shift yep. culture there and the poor mm-hmm. there. Okay. That's an, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, so when do you think your, I've had an interesting conversation. When do you think you're going to be done with your dissertation? You know, if I was on operation hyperspeed, okay. it would, I would be defended and written completed by this May. Whoa. I know. Okay. That's, you know. I believe in you. I'm trying to believe in me too, that I could do that. <laughs> However, realistically, with the things I still have to write, and then you you just never know when you're like, once you write your first three chapters, then when you go on to like the fourth chapter of collecting right. data, you don't know how that will go, right. depending on who responds. So, you know, at the latest, I'm hoping no later than um, this winter you know, okay. by December, but I'm definitely trying to get out of Minnesota by May and find a job. Cause I don't need to be in Minnesota to complete my dissertation. Right. And you're going to, and, and, or have a job, right? Like you can work. Yep. And okay. And that's why it takes people, but that's why it takes people so long to finish because right. then they get a full-time job yeah, yeah, and, and they're, they're like, like oh, yeah, I guess I got to write. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's get to the real stuff here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How the hell did you get into jujitsu? <laughs> I am so fascinated. Okay. Yeah. We've spent a lot of time here talking about color and mm-hmm. and um, privilege and males and females. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've 
ever in my life. I'm not that far into jiu-jitsu met a black female mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu artist. We're, there's not a lot of us out there, but we're out here. All right. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's just another one of those. I wouldn't say planned happenstance. Okay. It was all leading to something. Okay. But um, I've always been a huge fan of martial arts. Okay. Since I was a kid. And like my dad, we like, we. it's always funny because every time I come home and I'm hanging out with my dad and he might be with a friend who doesn't know me and we're watching UFC, you know, then the conversation, you know, How'd you get into it? You know, I got my dad into martial arts in ah, UFC. Yes. Yeah. So when I was about, it was probably like, I was like either nine or 10. Cause my brother wasn't that, maybe he was a little older. Cause my brother wasn't that little. Um, like we were coming down for a weekend and my dad was like, Hey, um, bring something for the weekend to watch. Well, my brother picks up dragon tails Okay. cartoon or yep. whatever and oh, i'm yeah. like i want to pick up ufc greatest knockouts oh, shit. <laughs> you know? so i just really liked it you know okay. it wasn't because it was like i was a violent kid or anything like i just really appreciated the mm-hmm. art of it and so we just got to watching it and i just never let up and i remember <sighs> watching it and my dad was the same way too of like if somebody got tapped out or something we're like oh that's a you know weak way to go like right. yeah we just like freaking hate it we just want to see the knockouts like mm-hmm. this is so boring being on the ground mm-hmm. um and then going through you know my collegiate sports or whatever like i mean jujitsu like taekwondo wasn't like the even though i love martial arts like karate taekwondo and things like that like i wanted to get into that when i was really young but we just didn't have the finances or anything to do that mm-hmm. and then I, it was just kind of out of sight out of mind by then um, and I didn't know anything, you know, any jujitsu places or anything around there. So, and then going into my, um, collegiate sports, then it kind of started opening up more with like people fighting, like there's more gyms. And I was like, mm-hmm. my coach would kill me if I go and like start training right, or whatever. Right. Um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. So I came back in January, 2015 and I started working for KVC. Worst job in my life, but I learned a lot, learned a lot from there. And I remember just like being there, soul sucking job, you know, kind of going to the gym, Mm kind of not. And I was like, I really want to get into something else. So I looked at Krav Maga here, tried out one class. I was like, "Mm, really not for me. Mm -hmm. And I just so just don't know why I typed it in. I was just like jujitsu you know, in Lawrence and rivers jujitsu popped up and I saw, you know, you could get like a free class. And I was just like, I think I want to try it out. And then my partner at the time was like, yeah, you should. And I was like, Oh, cause I have, I have to take time to like sit with things. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not in a pulse bird. Like, oh, I'm gonna try it out. So I'm gonna do it tomorrow. Like, right. no, it takes me a minute to like process. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, no. So I went ahead and didn't know what the hell I was getting into, but obviously like being a fan of UFC, like I was familiar what was going on and, Walked into the, you know, a message, got a message back and I walked into the gym. I want to say it was either like towards the end of February or, you know, around beginning of March um, in 2016. And I loved it from the first day. Like, of course, I didn't see anybody like me, right? you know, in there. But I'm also one of those people like a, I've I've always been outside of the norm or outside right. of a stereotype like mm-hmm. i was the black female that was skateboarding and you know yes. elementary and middle school right. listening to hard rock mm-hmm. and my my grandparents would be like what the hell are you listening to i'm like limp biscuit you know, like, <laughs> oh, embarrassing shit. you know yeah, like right? but i mean i listen to 
I listened to all of it, corn and oh wow, yeah, disturbed. I was oh, here okay. for it all. Um, but I've like in you know like per, most of my friends at that particular time, like I grew up with a lot of white friends, and so I was mm-hmm. just like always like let's yeah let's go bike. Like I said, like did bother me wearing a you know a cycling helmet, mm-hmm. like whatever. Right. So that was just something I was like, even though there's not any anybody like me in here, I just got really great vibes from. You know, everybody was, you know, Matt, Heidi and Trevor, they were amazing. Right. Um, so I was and it was, you know, affordable. I had a full time job. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, let's just go ahead and do it. And I, you know, and then um, having high like seeing Heidi and then there was Nikki. And then we had another uh, we had two more females, too, that were there. And just kind of like seeing them and like it was just very empowering as a female. And then we had a there was like a woman's summit or something mm-hmm. like a few months after that. Um, and I went up and there was another black female and I was just like, oh my gosh, like we're out here, you know, like we exist, we exist, <laughs> you know, but it was so exciting to me. And it was like, I think for, obviously there's a lot of people that drop out of jujitsu, but mm-hmm. I think once you kind of like embrace the grind, cause I very much tie it back into mental health and just like my life philosophy mm-hmm. of like could show up and I might have an awesome day could show up I have a shitty day you know mm-hmm. or it just is and but I know if I panic if I'm doing something it's just going to get worse it's just going <laughs> to get tighter and tighter right and you know it, just like life like I just yeah. I just have to keep showing up mm-hmm. and that's how you get better and it was just one of those things where I fell in love with it and so I just like kept showing up and I really just was like, yeah, I'd love to have more black females. Like, but at the end of the day, like just me being in there and then being in my social circle and having other black females see what I'm doing, even though they're not, they haven't necessarily joined. Right. It's huge for them. Cause they're like, we, what the hell is this? You mm-hmm. like wrapping up each other and choking each other with your clothes and things like that. Like, so just for them seeing things like that. And then like one of my friends, she got her son into martial arts, not because of me, but it's becoming more relevant because you're starting to see more representation. So then when I've gone to some competitions, I've seen a couple of us sprinkled in. I've obviously seen more like when it comes to males and females, there's more males. Right. But I have seen a fair amount of black males, you know, representing, which has been really awesome too. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, I just say it, it's part because I'm one of those people that's kind of like an outlier. I don't necessarily subscribe to the stereotypes. Um, planned happenstance of like yeah let's just see if a jujitsu gym's around mm-hmm. and just the culture of you know the rivers family um i just kept at it so my my love from ufc nice really like yeah trickled me down to this journey so then when you moved to minnesota how long did you like research gyms before you left oh yeah you, okay. yeah i needed to know um okay. i think the for, i was up there for like three weeks before school started i was like i need to do something but i knew they had a you know jitch gym um that which was lucky because they had just opened that gym like a few months before i got there like like the instructor because it's two gym owners that that are from the area and then the the guy the brazilian um instructor he was just coming from brazil and he's like an an abu dhabi champion lightweight you know credentials or or you know accolades are really great um and so i went to the gym you know which you know, again, when we come back to representation, like that was something I had to get used to again because I'm in right. a new setting. I didn't see there was one person of color who was a male. And for me, like I have to be I have to feel comfortable before I start coming out of my shell. Right. So it was just a lot of and when you're thinking about, you know, jujitsu and stuff, it's like I don't want to roll with somebody 
who I don't know who might want to harm me. Yes, correct. You know, and so after I had, you know, a couple weeks of just feeling people out and just seeing how the, the mm-hmm. culture of the gym was. And, you know, there's they have another sister gym. There's a, there's a lot more gyms in like the cities. But again, it's like an hour and 15 minutes right. away when you start talking about the winter. You don't want to travel like that. Mm-hmm. So I just got lucky with that gym opening. And then cool. it, it expanded the, you know, over the past three years that yeah. I've been there, which has been really cool to see. Um, but yeah, like it was an adjustment, like going back up there. And even now, I mean, there's. I've, I think I've only seen one, the comp, the two, two or three competitions I've gone to have only seen one other black female. Interesting. Yeah. So you listened to the one with Beth and Heidi, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, we had a, a conversation about rolling, I think with males, I think something of that. And that they have, they can just tell mm-hmm. like if there's somebody that's trying to, to hurt them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're a female or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. Have you had that experience? One, I mean, I know that you, I know that you couldn't tell if they hated me because or wanted to hurt me because I was black. Mm-hmm. But have you had that experience as a female? And then, do you think you could you infer that you were because you're a woman of color? I will never know if it was because I was a woman of color, mm-hmm. but unless they said something, you right. know. Um, but definitely, I've had that experience, you know, um, being a woman and rolling with certain males. Um, their ego, uh, you know, like it's. I I think I'm a great person to roll with. Like <laughs> I rolled with you one time, and it was a lot of fun. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, like I think I'm yeah I'm a really great partner. Like I really yeah. try to like work with people. Like I can go hard if you want to go mm-hmm. hard, but like still keep it in mind. Like I pre mm-hmm. I value your safety and you know right. your person. And um, there's just there's have been more than a few instances with males like, and it's always like the occasional bigger guy but it's usually like the smaller ones like they just kind of have that like little you know little dick energy complex like i I love it that's so true (laughs) like i don't know Mm -hmm. but you know like they'll just be starting out and it's like of course you're not going to know what i know and because you don't know what i know and even though you might have me in the strength department like i'm still gonna i'm i if you want me to i can embarrass you if you're going to come Mm -hmm. at me you know right and so like on more than a few occasions i've had males like really they get upset because they can't do something they can't get a certain technique or i tap them Mm -hmm. you know um and they start going a little harder they start kind of cranking on a few things or start putting you know their forearm in your face and things like Mm -hmm. that um and then you know there's now i'm a little more vocal because again there's so much that goes into confronting, you know, when you think about intersectionality too, right. it's like, I don't want to confront somebody in a way to where I'm putting myself in danger. Right. Um, and you know, like I, I'm a person that can, I can joke a lot and so I can hide a lot of things behind a smile and what, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, if, I have felt like males were going too hard with me, I'm like, dang, you know, you're trying to take my head off or something uh, like, you know, we don't need to go that hard. And, 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 They'll, you know, they'll kind of back off a little bit, but that's me voicing that like, hey, I'm aware of you going too hard with me right Mm -hmm. now. And so if we roll again, I know I'm not going to roll with you again. Okay. Like if you don't. You've already made up. mm -hmm. Once you've said that, have you made up your mind? You won't roll with them again? You're just saying it just to say it or not. You know what I'm. Right. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll say it so they know that I'm aware of that. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, if it happens again, or even if the first time is like, no, you went really too hard for me to even joke with you. Like, I know I'm not going to roll with you again until you mm-hmm. 
like either somebody talks to you or you're, you know, you've been training for maybe longer. Cause that's, you know, that's the thing too. Like it's usually like the newer people mm -hmm. that come in that like they either don't, they, they're in jujitsu, but they don't like really believe it yet. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I, that's an interesting thing. I, man, I struggle with like that idea of like, how much does a white belt go? Like, how hard do I go? How, right. how do I hold back? How do I, due to just all the different things or, you know, mm -hmm. Matt was telling me, Oh yeah. A couple of times you just really laid your forearm into my face. And I was like, <laughs> Oh man, I am mean too. <laughs> well, right. I didn't, didn't mean to do that on purpose. I was just trying to get, mm -hmm. get my game on with a black belt. Right. Like, well, yeah, you're just used to it. I'm like, damn it. I don't want to be that guy that does like the dick move. Right. right. But again, but you don't know what you don't know, right. but it takes somebody to like tell you like, Hey, you know, and then your mm -hmm. response to that, it's, you know, like, okay, it's mm -hmm. fine. But yeah, some people they and and don't get me wrong, like I've I've had a couple females who have the same you oh, know really? issue. Like, it's a competition of like, yeah, we can roll and like let's well, I'm gonna try to get you, you can try to get me, but like let's not get bitchy with each other or anything because you couldn't get me into something or you feel threatened because there's another female encroaching on, you know, your space. Oh, um, yes, yeah, there's so, so many, weird. Yeah, there's so many politics to it. Um, but I think it, it says a lot if you have a specific culture, like the culture at, at Rivers, like I know like when I was there, if I if I ever had an issue to where I needed to bring it up to somebody, I know I felt more than comfortable being able right. to at least talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I know that it was going to be talked, you know, or handled. Right. Um. You know, I know if I was having an issue with somebody and I can like jokingly say something to somebody who was closer to that person, like I felt really supported mm -hmm. in that. And I, and I even have that, you know, up in up in uh, Mankato, right you know, on. there's there's been certain people that I've rolled with and I've kind of looked at a team and I'm like, hey, you know, you might want to talk to them about this. And they're like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. OK. Um, do you think. Like like more of the stuff that we've talked about today, do you think as women of color get more, in, I mean, do you think more women of color would get into ju jujitsu? Mm -hmm. You think that's going to happen? I really do. I really, I, I think it's coming down the pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, again, like if we can get more representation, like just seeing somebody on a magazine that doesn't look like the norm right. could really do a lot. And I think, um, the bigger, like as jujitsu grows, it's just going to kind of be, you know, inevitable that right. more females will come in. Um, and I think more, you know, women of color will come in. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to be as long as, as people think I would even say like maybe in the next like five or 10 years, we might be seeing a, a pretty big boom. That's awesome. Do you, I asked Matt this question the other day, do you prefer choking somebody or like getting in like an arm bar or a leg lock or. I'm definitely a choking, a choking type person. Okay. I want to get you in any and every choke. What that kind, I can. What's your favorite choke? I really appreciate the bow and arrow. That's like my arrow. my bread and butter, okay. or any kind of lapel choke. Okay. Yeah. Is that because you like because of just being able to grip it and do certain moves? You're you're just more comfortable with a lapel choke. Yes. Um. I because yeah, I really like the grips mm -hmm. with it. Um. But it's also kind of um. With chokes in general it's like a power thing. Like I, like I've, like I, I like to have power. So it's like, I know. Uh. It's like, so let me dominate you in this. And I know if you don't tap like in a competition, cause me and Nikki were actually talking about this yesterday. I was like, 
I'm not the type of person in a competition, if I have you in an arm bar or some sort of lock and you don't tap, I'm not going to break it. Like, I just... That's funny. Matt and I were talking about the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I just... You might not give a shit about your 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 health, but I mm. give a shit about what that's going to do because that's traumatic for the person. Like if you didn't do it, because I've I've injured people on accident, mm-hmm. and you know, like obviously it's traumatic for them and the recovery of that. But like I have felt so bad, and like it's taken me a really long time to like really process that for myself, and really being mindful of not doing that, you know, mm. or, or at least trying to avoid it as much as mm. possible. And with a choke, you know, if you don't tap, you'll sleep, and it's yeah. fine. Yeah. You just wake back up. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it, I think it gives people the opportunity at least to like tap before anything like dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, having like you like, oh, I got you an arm bar and you thought you could fight it. But, you know, it popped four times. Right. Right. That's the thing, too. Like, as I'm learning, just like I don't fight the the joint ones too much. I just, I'm just learning what I can manage and get out of. Yeah. Versus just just tapping mm-hmm. right away. But like when I'm getting choked. I'm like, okay, how far can I take this yeah. and defend it? Because I know for the most part, I'm just going to see some stars mm-hmm. wake back up. Yeah. Right. And I'll be able to, if I go completely out, I'll just have to sit out around. Exactly. <laughs> like, like you'll be fine. Yeah. Not like the, the round that Matt ruined my arm yesterday. Still, <laughs> how is your arm feeling oh, today? I can barely move it. Ugh. No, it's fine. It's, yeah. It's my other one that still hurts, but yeah, yeah it's, it's actually didn't hurt. Like I was like, it hurt in the moment. Yeah. I think just that tweak of whatever there just more also scared me. Like that, right. that sharp pain yeah, yeah. scared me more than the actual pain, the actual pain or the movement because I wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Screamed out. <laughs> yeah. No, I get yeah, that. So this has been like, I don't want to cut anything. Oh short, yeah. We're but good. I, yeah. I got to, uh, I got to take my mom somewhere before oh, right they close at five. But, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. It's this, been a great conversation. This has been a really great conversation. I can't wait for you to be back in Kansas. I can't one either. to be at jujitsu one to educate me more about what it is that you're doing. I can't wait to learn about more, um, um, work with female black athletes. I mm-hmm. would love to work with female black athletes. I think it would be a fantastic yeah. process because I'm getting into more of the, um, uh, not like performance yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. I've done a little bit, but I'm going to get more into that. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to like, yeah, whenever like have a conversation, like I know you don't have social media, but you have my phone. Oh, number, I got like, Instagram. Okay. Yeah. I got yeah. Instagram. Yeah. I have Facebook for the river stuff. Right. 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 So we can, but I don't have anything on my, profile so we could talk through there yeah yeah talk to me like i like i said i'm hoping to come back in the summer you know with the job and yeah well job hunting is freaking terrible i hate it so what kind of before we go what kind of job are you going to be looking for uh i'd really love to get like part-time counseling job or i can start moving more towards my clinical because i still need supervision and stuff for that um and then part-time you know if i could find a part-time teaching gig somewhere which kind of sucks because i'm like in between that i'm completed with my master's but i'm not completed with my doctorate yet Ah, um but yeah i definitely like if i can't find any you know, counts or, uh, any professorships or anything like definitely counseling, but I don't sure. want to do community mental health, you know? Oh, no, I, we've cut, I've cut my teeth in that. I'm, I'm done with that. Do you have to have an LCPC too? Um, like do you have to work with one directly to, to do independent therapy? Um, the way that I did it, not necessarily. Cause I guess it kind of depends. So when I was doing my in-home therapy with mm-hmm. holes and associates, like I just had to have a separate, 
um supervisor okay who's like aware like you know of my caseload and like okay. so i could accrue my hours okay. for my clinical licensure well let's talk offline because yeah. we, we're growing this magnolia institute yeah for sure that'd so, be awesome it'll be awesome all right um thanks again for coming on it was so much fun i really appreciate it i really appreciate it too josh remember everybody forging perseverance through strength and vulnerability peace